We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Mattress Firm's Labor Day sale ends Monday. Get a king mattress for the price of a queen or a queen for a twin for a savings of up to $600. Plus, get a free adjustable base when you spend just $4.99. And Friday through Monday, get a Beautyrest Queen mattress for just $99. Visit mattressfirm.com or a store near you for the best deal of the season. Only at Mattress Firm. Offer valid with qualifying purchase. $99 mattress offer available in-store only to while supplies last. Restrictions apply. Valid at participating locations only. For offer details, visit mattressfirm.com slash sale. You are listening to the Tuesday, October 17th edition of Road of His Radio. I'm Pat Corain on Twitter at Pat Corain, and with me is Sean Siegel on Twitter at FF underscore Contrarian. Sean, how was your week six? It was good, good and bad. This was one of the stranger weeks. In, in terms of my own fantasy teams, I had three or four dynasty teams, I think, set their all-time franchise high, which is always very exciting. Yeah, and then at the same time, I think my high-stakes teams, which which had been off to a great start, uh, may go winless this week, and then also had a couple of dynasty teams that are that are in play to uh, set maybe franchise lows. So in a lot of ways, I think that illustrates what this week was about. We had some huge upsets. We had, again, some very unfortunate injury news. Obviously, to win this week, you needed to avoid the injuries. And then we also had some strange reality developments where, uh, at least apparently, or, or to many viewers, I would think, we had some clearly correct calls that were overturned by replay, which I, I don't think that's the way replay is supposed to work there. So what was your biggest takeaway of the week? Yeah, I mean, the Rodgers injury, I think, is definitely the, the big takeaway. We, we're definitely going to get into at, at least the uh, the biggest weird overturn uh, 
with our guest this week. Um, and I think maybe one of my big takeaways this week is it must be bizarre a week since my fantasy, uh, my high stakes fantasy team got its first win this week. The high stakes team that I co-own with uh, Pete Overzet, the Fantasyland team, and the FFPC. Uh, we are now one in five. So uh, playoffs, here we come. We're going to go on an epic win streak here, I think. But uh, no, probably not. But uh, yeah, your teams took a turn for the worse. So uh, I guess that's that's why our, our terrible team was managing uh, its first win. Well, I assume you had Carlos Hyde in the lineup. And Correct. Despite a lot of concern about his workload, and despite the fact that he struggled again purely as a ball carrier outside of the touchdowns, uh, he put up a big fantasy week for you. Yep, and uh, you know we were optimistic finally about our cousin stack with Reed and Crowder, which has just been a mega failure, and that still <laughs> didn't quite uh, hit for us like we were hoping. But at least Cousins was was usable, and um, you know we we managed to uh, to score some points elsewhere. So yeah, it's uh, it was it was definitely an interesting week. I think in some ways, kind of a a little bit of a bummer of a week just to see Rodgers go down and he's, you know, his season probably done. Um, but there was also some exciting stuff as well. McKinnon, Ingram, Peterson all having big weeks, which was fun. So uh, we'll get into all that and more because, uh, Sean, we have a great guest this week. Yes, one of my favorite writers. We have Des Beeler from the Washington Post, and, and he also has an excellent podcast, The Fantasy Football Beat. So we're excited to have him on and, and get his takes on a lot of these different developments. I, I should throw in really quickly, as I have been uh, somewhat critical of the Detroit Lions and their wide receivers, uh, mentioning Golden Tate and Marvin Jones as mostly garbage time and forced volume types of players. And obviously their, their game was essentially entirely garbage time again this week. At one point, the Saints up 45 to 10. And I certainly agreed with the commentators that it only made sense for the Lions to get uh, Matthew Stafford out of the game at that point. You're down 35 points, and and he's clearly struggling, not 100%. But even though it almost certainly didn't make sense, it was very exciting to see him rally the team and, and the defense and special teams make some more plays. But uh, that's one of the reasons why Matthew Stafford is is one of my favorite players, favorite quarterbacks. We all remember the game where he broke his collarbone, comes back in and, and throws the game winning touchdown. And in this particular game, you know, he threw a touchdown pass to Marvin Jones that got him back in it. And Jones, I mean, Jones has some trouble in most areas of the field since he's not necessarily that athletic and not that physical. So he has a hard time getting open, but Stafford made an incredible throw to him in the end zone where he goes up twirling one handed grab and uh, great, great play. So very exciting to see him do that. And, and certainly when we're critical of players, we want to come back and, and also celebrate the the positive plays. And, and that was an amazing performance there. So hopefully the Lions can, can get their season turned back around. But that, that wasn't the, the game for them from a win-loss perspective. But they made some incredible plays. Yeah, and the news coming out of that game is that Golden Tate is going to miss a few weeks here. Uh, still awaiting uh, his MIR, MRI results on um, his shoulder, but it's believed to be a sprained AC joint, according to Roto World. Uh, I know you're a big Kenny Galladay fan. Is there any chance that you know maybe this could be some addition by subtraction here for the Lions, with uh, kind of being forced to get Galladay more involved here? 
I think it'll probably help, although Tate, even though I think he's a, a mildly overrated player, he still is important to what they do. It probably would have been more helpful to get, um, you know, to, to clear that opportunity in different ways. Certainly you don't want any time. You don't ever want players to suffer an injury, but, you know, if they were going to lose a player, Tate is probably not the one who will help their offense. So they, they still have lots of problems there, but he's definitely the guy who could come in and, and do some damage. So hopefully that long-term situation is in play. And uh, like I said, it was exciting to see them fight back. It was exciting for, for Saints fans to see their team suddenly look to be on the rise and um, a variety of, of storylines there, unless you're a Michael Thomas owner, to see mm-hmm. them score 52 points and for him to not have a big fantasy day. Uh, wouldn't have seemed very likely going into the week. But but that's the kind of week that it was. It had lots of huge games and then lots of low-scoring games that, that came out of nowhere. Yeah, not the 52 uh, Saints output that we would have expected there. A lot of defensive scoring. Um, a very strange shootout uh, in the Superdome. Um, but, you know, on, on Galladay, he's hit some waiver wires. So uh, be on the lookout for him. He's someone to, to be picking up in your redraft leagues. And Dynasty... Uh, he's probably someone that, if you subscribe to Rotoviz, you already own because uh, we were big fans of him this off season. Uh, if you kind of missed out on that, uh, you know, end that right now. Sign up for Rotoviz. Uh, you can get a listeners only thirty percent discount if you sign up through our podcast homepage, Rotoviz.com/podcast. That subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our premium NFL content, and it supports the podcast. Um, and if you want to also help support the show, you can do that by supporting the podcast on iTunes, rating and reviewing the Rotoviz Radio channel on iTunes. We also now have our own separate feed. If you're listening to us through the Rotoviz Radio channel with all of the podcasts, if you want to just subscribe to this show and, and just a few others, then uh, you can do that through the, uh, the Rotoviz Radio football show in iTunes as well. Kind of a, a pared down selection there and uh, if you rate and review us on that channel, that helps a lot since it's a newer channel on uh, on iTunes. So uh, we'd definitely appreciate that, and uh, obviously definitely appreciate you signing up for Rotoviz, and I think you'll definitely appreciate what you guys get back as uh, your subscription there. Um, but for now, let's get to our interview with Des Beeler of the Washington Post. You can follow him on Twitter at Des Beeler. Fantasy football fans, listen up. If you love fantasy football, then you need to try my new favorite app, Draft. Here's how it works. You do a draft that lasts for just one week, and there's no management. Just set it and forget it. Once you're done drafting, that's it. No trades, no waiver wire. Draft even takes care of last-minute injuries for you. Drafts start every couple minutes, so you can join one right now. And the best part? You play for cold, hard cash. Drafts start from just $1, so there's a draft for everyone. There's no salary caps, so you play in real-life snake drafts, just like you would with your friends in a season-long league. So come in, join me, draft against me on Draft Today. Download the app anytime. Just search Draft in your app store and join a game in minutes or play right from your computer on PlayDraft.com, whatever you want. For a limited time only, all new players get a free entry into a draft when you make your first deposit. But you have to use the promo code RVRADIO. That's right. Play a real money game for free just for using my promo code RVRADIO on your first deposit on Draft. Just search Draft in the App Store or go to PlayDraft.com and come play free with promo code RVRADIO.
please welcome to the show Des Bueller. He's a writer covering the NFL and fantasy football for the Washington Post. You can follow him on Twitter at Des Bueller. Des, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. Uh, you're actually catching me at a good time because I'm getting my wisdom teeth taken out tomorrow. So who knows if I'll even be able to speak uh, with any clarity. So today's a good day. <laughs> All right. Perfect timing then. Well, uh, let's get into this weekend's biggest news, the Aaron Rodgers injury. Uh, you know, I think that that kind of sucked up a lot of the action from the weekend. It led your column this week uh, on the Washington Post. Um so even with the devaluation of quarterbacks in fantasy, Rodgers is going to be felt. He's one of the, the top quarterbacks uh, in football, obviously, one of the top fantasy quarterbacks as well. Um, beyond his absence, though, for fantasy owners in standard and two-quarterback formats, it's going to impact the entire offense. Um, you know, Jordy Nelson, Devontae Adams, the Randall Cobb, all the receivers, and even the run game as well. So... How do you see things shaking out now that Brent Hundley is going to be taking over? He did struggle against the Vikings, but he has a week of preparation, um, which could make a big difference here. Do you think there's potential for him to emerge uh, along the lines of some former backups? Uh, it, maybe not quite to this level, but you know, guys like Tom Brady and Tony Romo uh, have had certainly shined from the backup position when star quarterbacks went down. So. Um, do you think there's any hope here for Hunley keeping the audience, the offense um, on track here? And who do you think, if not, could take the biggest hit here? Um, and is are there any beneficiaries? So there's a lot there, but basically what do you, mm-hmm. what do you see being the impacts of Rodgers' departure here on this offense? Well, first of all, I think uh, Rodgers has suffered enough without being compared to Drew Bledsoe. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'd like to think he's... Like think he's going to go down in history as having a, a little. I mean, nothing against Bledsoe for that matter, but you know, Rogers I think has carved out a, a certainly more distinguished career. Um, you know, I think I don't know if we want to compare it to the last time he went down because Hundley's a different guy. I mean, when when Rogers injured his other collarbone, the non-throwing one, which obviously is less severe, in 2013, and he missed seven games. Uh, the Packers fill-in quarterbacks at that time were Matt Flynn, who actually wasn't terrible. Scott Tolzien and Seneca Wallace, of all people, um, you know, and, and maybe it's instructive to note that uh, for those seven games that Rodgers missed that season, uh, the Packers scored over 20 points in four of them and threw for over 280 yards in four of them as well. So it wasn't like their passing attack just, you know, went completely dormant, even with uh, the likes of Scott Tolzien and, and Matt Flynn on, on the job. So, you know, Hunley is a bit more of a mystery guy, but, uh, you know, I think we can take some hope from history that the Packers have a very strong structure in place. You know, they, they're a well-coached team. They have a history of producing, um, you know, quarterbacks from the, from their sort of their depth chart who go on to do good things. I mean, even if you want to say Matt Flynn uh, to some degree, um, you know, so I think, I think we can be reasonably confident that Hundley is not going to be a total disaster there. Um, you know, even, and as you mentioned, his stats against the Vikings were not impressive at all. I mean, he threw three picks, he completed under 55% of his passes, but it was, it was a tough spot. I mean, at the Vikings, like you said, he didn't have a week to prepare at all. He's going to get the starters reps going forward. Um, you know, we can, we can hope for better things from him. You know, that said, I mean, I do think the rest of the passing attack has to take a hit, right? I mean, Aaron Rodgers is one of the obviously greatest quarterbacks in history and he's, he's just a magician and he's so aggressive. He has such great arm strength, such incredible accuracy, so much, poise roll in and out of the pocket. I mean, I just think it's completely unfair to expect any other quarterback to, to replicate that. So, you know, as I noted in my post, I mean, I, I think what you do with 
the receivers there is just sort of bump them down a notch, right? I mean, if if uh, Jordy Nelson was a wide receiver one going into this week, I think now he's a wide receiver two, and you know, which you know wouldn't wouldn't be the end of the world if you have him. Um, and if Devontae Adams is kind of in that wide receiver two, like high end wide receiver two conversation, now he's probably more like a wide receiver three flex guy. You know, and, and if we keep going, sort of going down the list, then I think the the receiver who takes the biggest hit there is probably Randall Cobb because you know there's no bigger difference than being relevant and irrelevant in fantasy. And I think he's already fourth on targets in that team, and he only he only has one TD so far. So you know, I, I think it'll be tough. It, you know, it, not many quarterbacks can can support um, multiple receivers anyway. I mean, in multiple wide receivers, especially three of them. So you know, it'd be unfair for Hundley to expect to support three wide receivers the way Aaron Rodgers did, at least to some degree. So. I think I think Cobb is a guy you you should plan on not you know putting in your lineups anytime soon at least until we see what this attack looks like with Hundley. Do you think this group of wide receivers is maybe particularly susceptible to losing Rodgers because it seems like they're not great at getting open. You know, Devontae Adams strikes me as a guy, you know, he he really doesn't get that much separation. It's more that Rodgers is just going to throw him those balls that, you know, when he has that that little bit of room Sometimes after Rogers been scrambling around a little bit, he's going to throw him uh, the ball and expect Adams to make the play. Um, so it's not like generally I think Adams in particular is getting wide open for a for a new quarterback. Um, is this offense maybe even a little bit more dependent? This passing offense, in particular, a little bit more dependent on Rogers than it might seem. Yeah, I I think there's some merit to that notion. I mean, we saw. I think last year um, when Rodgers was, was going through a, a troublesome spell, you know, and I think that was one of the analyses that came out of it was like, look, it's not all on him, and it's certainly not on Olivia Munn, as some suggested at the time. Um, you know, the part of it was his receivers who just weren't getting open for him and, and were doing a terrible job of, of getting separation. I think that was – well, obviously last year you had Jordy Nelson um, coming back from injury, and the year before that he was out, so – you know, you can you can hope that a healthier Nelson can make a difference here, even if he isn't quite the the deep threat that he has been. But um, you know, I think I think there's some possibility that the Packers will go toward a very different sort of an offensive approach with Hundley and where they try to run the ball. And if that happens, run the ball a lot more. You know, and they have this nice backfield tandem now of Ty Montgomery and and Aaron Jones. And if there's any beneficiary from this uh, huge injury, maybe maybe it's Aaron Jones. If you know, if, if the team decides, look, let's become more of a conventional run-first attack and make Aaron Jones the lead guy. I mean, this is all speculation, but if you want to look at maybe somebody who could emerge, um, it could be Aaron Jones. It could be Ty Montgomery for that matter. If Hundley just, you know, if if his if his comfort factor is throwing a lot of short passes and just kind of flares out of the backfield, which you could see happening because those tend to be easier passes to complete if if a quarterback has touch, unlike say Cam Newton. Uh, you know, and I, I, but I think that will be one of the interesting things we look for is what kind of routes does Hundley like to throw? Does he have a, a preference for a receiver? Is he the kind of guy just to lob it deep and tell Devontae Adams, go get it? You know, or does does he like seam routes? So, you know, different guys could emerge here. I mean, Martellus Bennett maybe emerges. He doesn't have any touchdowns yet on the season. It's not like he was making magic with Aaron Rodgers. And, of course, we saw the other side of that awful replay where Rodgers got hurt was the ball clanging off of Bennett's hand. So he hasn't really been helping himself in that regard. But who knows? You know, maybe he emerges. So, you know, I, I hate to not sound definite on, on what will happen, but, you know, I think it is something where when we see in a couple of games, we might find that maybe there's a surprise emergence of a player who's gaining value from all this. Speaking of a player who's gaining value, we, we had a, a very strange sort of fantasy week where if you own certain players, you got huge weeks. If you own other players, you know, you took some terrible weeks like with the Aaron Rodgers thing. But on the positive side... Adrian Peterson moves over to Arizona. 
he had looked completely washed up. This, this seems sort of like a desperation trade for the Cardinals. Uh, but then he goes out and he destroys Tampa Bay on Sunday. And the Bucks are dealing with some injuries, some key defenders, but he instantly looked like a better fit in that Cardinals offense. So Arizona has a top four schedule, according to our buy low machine, uh, specifically between now and week 13. So perhaps that stretch that would get you to the fantasy playoffs. And obviously you can't win until you get there. If there's a Peterson owner looking to sell high this week, would you be buying or is this sort of a fluke game where if you're an owner, you're trying to sell now? Right. You know, I mean, certainly if uh, in general, you don't, you don't do well in fantasy by, by buying high, you know, if someone says, Hey, I'm looking to sell high, you know, usually that's a, that's a signal, like maybe not to buy that situation. And in this case, I, I yeah, I would not be chomping at the bit to acquire Peterson. I mean, I think there's a whiff of, of flukiness about this game. Uh, it, it was, even in, in real football terms, it was it was an amazing game. And you said there were a lot of highs and lows over the weekends. And, you know, one of the real problems for the NFL now is it's lost a couple of its real star players, especially on offense between Aaron Rodgers and Odell Beckham. So you got you to think the NFL is loving, even if Peterson has, you know, a bit of a checkered history, to say the least, and his reputation has been tarnished by some off-the-field stuff. I mean, you at least have to you have to figure the NFL is happy that it, like a major star has kind of reemerged on, on the stage. Uh, you know, that said, I mean, I, I have to think like this is going to represent his high watermark with the Cardinals. I would imagine that the Buccaneers were taken by surprise a little bit and that future defenses are going to going to be scheming up for, you know, what have been such a pass heavy offense is, you know, if, if they're going to merely make a point of giving Peterson the ball, I think defenses are going to scheme for that. And then you also have to take into account that David Johnson might return. I mean, I guess in the time frame you're talking about from now till week 12, I think week 12 is is. As, as we understand it now, and I think there's a lot that we don't know about the situation, and probably a lot the Cardinals don't know, but I think Johnson could be could return by Thanksgiving, which would be Week 12. So, you know, that would give Peterson five more calendar weeks, except uh, one of those is a bye, and then two of those are against the Seahawks and Texans. So, I, I don't know if I'm, you know, if I'm loving his his immediate schedule, even if Rotoviz likes it a little bit better. So, long, very long story short, I would say I'm not necessarily looking to buy Peterson, especially if the owner is wants to sell high. Although I wouldn't blame anybody for doing so. To take the flip side of it, I, if I had Peterson, I definitely would would be putting him out there. Well, this is a pretty clear situation, right? That when Johnson comes back, uh, Peterson goes right back into the situation that he was in with New Orleans, where yeah. You know, the coach is, is saying, look, you made some nice runs, but you're, you're definitely not the best guy at this point. Yeah, I mean, actually, that would be eerily, it could be, you know, if, if Johnson comes back and he's the guy that he was, or at least a, a pretty reasonable version of it, yeah, Peterson could be right back in that situation where you think of Mark Ingram as having been the lead back. And then, of course, in New Orleans, you had Alvin Kamara as the pass catching back. And in Arizona, you have Andre Ellington. So, you know, if Johnson comes back and Ellington retains a role, then, yeah, Peterson could be right back to uh, getting getting scraps and doing what he can. But, you know, at least he'll have had a moment in the sun. And, and if at age 32, he just wanted to prove one more time that he could get it done in the NFL, I mean, I think he's I think he's he's made that point. So, you know, uh, you know, it, I think if the Cardinals get get Johnson back, I mean, they're going to want to give him the ball as much as they can, I would think, especially because his injury wasn't it was a lower, you know, it's a wrist injury. So his legs have been fine this whole time. And assume he's kept himself in shape. I mean, that could be a heck of a weapon to unleash on the NFL late in the season, uh, you know, with with his fresh legs. So, yeah, I think it's likely that that Peterson would very much take a, a, a backseat at that point. 
Well, Peterson's talking about four more, four or five more years, if if God's willing. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know yeah, that he's going to be. That. Yeah, but I don't think he's going to be super psyched about being Johnson's backup when it comes to that. But we'll, I guess he gets this little run until then. But you mentioned Mark Ingram, uh, and that you know that's the situation that that Peterson's leaving behind, obviously. But Ingram also a big beneficiary of Peterson's departure, posting a thirty-two point fantasy game on thirty touches uh, against Detroit at home in the Superdome. Um, obviously when, uh, the saints are home, uh, that's going to be some, some prime matchups for fantasy owners. Usually, you know, regardless of this Peterson departure, um, but you know, this, this game came through for Ingram in a way where in some of these spots, he hasn't come through, you know, he, he did score. He was involved all around. Um, it was a high scoring game, although a weirdly high scoring game, considering many of the scores were from the defense, but uh, having Ingram come off this, uh, this high, you know, potential sell high spot as well, is that what you would be looking to do with Ingram kind of moving uh, the running back who also benefited this week from uh, Peterson's departure? Yeah, yeah, that was my initial reaction. I mean, I have Ingram in a number of league and was and was uh, lucky enough or smart enough maybe uh, to acquire him before this past weekend. I'll, I'll just say lucky enough, uh, you know, at a relatively low price. And now, of course, his his value has skyrocketed. You know, I, so my initial thinking was, yeah, let's. He, he's a sell high candidate. I mean, he he accounted for 150 total yards, over well over 100 on the ground, and. You know, this is only it was only the tenth time in his career he's rushed for over 100 yards, and just the fifth since 2015. So, I mean, there's every reason to think this was, you know, and obviously Peterson was not around for most of that time. So, there's every reason to think this was a bit of an aberration for him. And you add that, you know, but the narrative out there is so strong now. I mean, if, you know, Peterson gets traded away from New Orleans, and people are already thinking like, oh, this could be good for Mark Ingram. And then it turns out, then it looks like it's incredible for Mark Ingram. You know, I think a lot of people, you could you could think that they have sort of stars in their eyes when they're envisioning like what you know, what the future has in store for Mark Ingram. And I think it could be a bit, a bit less impressive than that. So by that standard, you know, I, yeah, I think he would make for a pretty good sell high. It's just that, you know, you'd want a fringe, you've, you've got sort of a fringe RB1 on your hands right now, right? And that's what you would want back in exchange, unless you're just loaded that position and you're looking elsewhere and, you know, and that's fine. If you want to turn him in through a, you know, wide receiver one of some sort, if you can turn him into somebody like Antonio Brown or, or, or Julio Jones might be a more sensible target since he's been sort of scuffling along a little bit. Like I would absolutely wouldn't, wouldn't tell anyone not to do that. But, you know, in general, the thing you love to have on your roster, especially when you do the sort of the zero RB thing is try to, you start targeting those sort of mid round running backs. And I guess, I think Ingram was going in sort of the fourth round in a lot of drafts and he, you may have gotten him on the cheap as, as the season started and he wasn't putting up huge numbers. So, you know, once you have a guy like that in your roster, it's, it's just such a value assuming that you're in, in good shape elsewhere. So I guess I'm going in, in a circle a bit here, but I, I think I, I would, you know, I wouldn't blame anybody for, for keeping him either. So I guess the moral of the story is, Sure, put him out there. You know, like every guy has a price, and if you can get an elite commodity for him, I, I definitely would would make that move. But there's a lot to be said for his his outlook, in, you know, in, in the weeks ahead, especially because, you know, I was thinking like, yeah, like you mentioned, that was such a weird game, um, and the the way that the points piled up on on defensive and special teams, then all of a sudden the Saints look up and they're up 45 to 10 on the scoreboard, and if you think, well, they're not going to be they're not going to have huge leads like that in a lot of games, and maybe Alvin Kamara will be more of a factor when they're trying to come from behind, but, you know, you look at their schedule coming up. I mean, their next game is against Packers, and all of a sudden, that doesn't necessarily look like a game that the Saints will be behind on the scoreboard in, and we just talked about the Packers' problems, obviously, without Rodgers. Then you have the Bears, the Bucks are a bit of a mess, the Bills, um, you know, the 
the Rams, Panthers. So, I mean, they have some teams coming up where, you know, you, they might well have, you know, be able to carve out an early lead and keep it and just sort of feed Ingram the whole time. So, um, you know, I, I do like, I do like his prospects going forward. What's your pick here? Is he going to be the highest scoring running back on his own team the rest of the way? Oh yeah, yeah. I th- I think so. I mean, I I know that they they love Kamara, but I think and I think maybe as soon as next year we could see Kamara emerge as the uh, you know the the top back there because he's so versatile and so explosive. But I think for this season at least, I think they're pretty happy to let Ingram be the lead back in in that situation and and let Kamara just sort of torment defenses in, in more of a secondary role. I think. All right, John. We're going to take a quick break from our interview with Des to talk about my bookie. My bookie is an industry leading website that hooks you up. Uh, with all of your betting needs, got great odds, fast payouts, decades of expertise. Sean, I don't know about you, but you know, fantasy scratch is part of the itch. But when you see some of these uh, these betting lines, sometimes you know something feels a little off here. Watching this much football, kind of seeps in. Uh, you know what what might be a good line, what might be a bad line, and this year's been a great year for betting underdogs, which I think kind of fits with the Rotoviz mindset of being contrarian. And uh, you know, is that Something you're at all interested in is the uh, the FF well, underscore contrarian on Twitter. Yeah, I think that I tend to always make my bets in the same area so that I all win or all lose. Which uh, you know, some days that's great, some days it's pretty depressing. <laughs> I think that uh, you know, you obviously, if you're a Rotovis reader, you can bring all these amazing tools to the table. But also, just someone at, you know who likes to watch. The games. If you're out there watching the games, you can see certain things that are going on. You know, maybe you want to bet against your team so that you, uh, if they win, you win. But if they lose, you also win. You know, you look at the Kansas City Chiefs this week, and the Chiefs have had an awesome season and uh, you know playing extremely well in all facets. But I don't think anyone who's a Chiefs fan who's been watching all of the games, you know, when you're halfway through the Pittsburgh Steelers game and your team has gained 10 yards. I don't think that comes as a surprise. Alex Smith has had a great year and, you know, they've had all these splash plays. The defense has done a great job and they are legitimately the best team in the NFL, but they also have these particular weaknesses where, you know, that wasn't a shock to anybody when they couldn't pick up a first down against the Steelers. So, you know, with your my bookie account, that's a great opportunity to bet against the Chiefs and make some money on that Steelers matchup. Yeah, and you you make a great point there because you're talking about you're getting to see some of the game. I mean, when we go into uh, our our DFS lineups, those lock at the start of the game. Our redraft lineups, dynasty lineups, those all lock at the start of the game. But with my bookie, you can do live, in game, and and mobile wagering. Uh, so you can do this in game and on the go. Um, and I think the biggest thing we got to mention here with my bookie is that they've been matching your deposit up to 100% um, with the promo code RotoRadio. That's mybookie.ag, promo code RotoRadio, up to 100% bonus. That's going away at the end of this week. So uh, for the last time this year, you got to sign up at mybookie.ag for up to 100% bonus with the promo code RotoRadio. Uh, my bookie, you play, you win, you get paid. Don't miss out. This is uh, the last time you're going to have access to this promo code offer. Once again, mybookie.ag, promo code RotoRadio. As you mentioned, uh, Julio Jones, who you know people don't usually think of as a buy low because he's Julio Jones, but he's had a slow start to the season. 
Um, you mentioned him in your in your article this week. Um, he's yet to score a touchdown this year. Uh, he had another kind of just okay game. He struggled with injuries in, in some games this year. Um, is he, you know, I, I think it, it, it bears noting that maybe owners who took him in the early first round are probably feeling a little bit disappointed. And uh, is this a really good time to be throwing out offers for Jones? Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely would say so, and I absolutely will be in leagues where I don't have him, which is, which is all of them. So I'm going to see what you know, kind of packages. I'm always trying to make two for one packages, three for one packages. I think it's a great time to to target Julio Jones. I mean, history tells us he, he's an elite commodity, and it's yeah, he's he's had some uh, injury concerns. He had a he had a hip injury going into the bye, and then he came out of the bye, but he was back in the field. And you know, I, I just think what's going on with that team is probably the result of of Kyle Shanahan being out of there, but uh, you know, I, I I think at this point Matt Ryan has regressed so far back from how good he was last year that we can expect him to kind of return you know return to the mean in a positive direction. I think that whole passing attack can be expected to you know and and obviously they get the Patriots this week and there's been nothing better for a floundering passing attack than the Patriots. I mean look what they did for Cam Newton's career just you know two or three weeks ago. All of a sudden Newton's back to being one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and all it took was a, a visit to New England and. You know, they made just made Josh McCown look like Joe Namath back there. So, you know, in the immediate term, I think there should be a lot of optimism about the Falcons passing attack. And, and just, you know, Jones, he's going to score touchdowns. I mean, he's averaged about a half a touchdown a game over his career, and he has zero this season. So there's every reason to think that over the next, you know, uh, uh, 12 games for them or 11 games, whatever it is. Um, yeah, he's, you know, he's going to get five or six touchdowns at least. And those, you know, humongous games are, are probably yet to come as well. These sort of 250 yard receiving games. So I loved uh, Julio Jones as a by low. You mentioned the change in the offense. How concerned should we be about that change or, or is that change going to, uh, do you feel like they're starting to get acclimated to the new system or the tweaks in the system? And kind of going along with that, what did you see as the biggest upset this last week? This was a week full of upsets. Everyone obviously focused on the Giants over the Broncos last night. But the Broncos basically have no offense. And so you're going to get into some games where you have some fluky upsets like that. Whereas the Falcons, they're home against the Miami Dolphins team with Jay Cutler. And a version of Jay Cutler that, you know, like so many of the others, fans are, are chanting for his backup. I mean, you're talking about a Dolphins team that somehow is doing a decent job record-wise, but in so many other games have just been an absolute disaster. And the Falcons had this huge lead yesterday and completely go away. Uh, is this Falcons team anywhere close to the Super Bowl-level team we saw last year? No, it, it clearly isn't. And, you know, I think I think it was to be expected that they would not be able to sustain that. You know, they, they were sort of historically efficient on offense and their touchdown percentage per drive was sort of off the charts. And the points scored was like way above anything that had ever happened in the Matt Ryan era, you know, and, and they bring in Steve Sarkeesian uh, to replace Kyle Shanahan, who's um, had very little uh, NFL, ex- you know, experience at the NFL level. Um, and it was a while ago. He's basically been a college coach his most of his career. So, you know, I think there was every reason to think that they would take a step back there, but it's been pretty remarkable, especially when you think that before the bye, they lost at home to the Bills. So now, you know, they faced in the last two games, two offenses, uh, two, you know, from the AFC East that aren't the Patriots, i.e. like not good offenses and, uh, you know, somehow not managed to outscore them. So, you know, I think it's easy to be down with Falcons, but, 
you know, I, I think it's still a small enough sample, like I said, that I think we can expect them to resemble a little bit more the team they were last year that really had very little difficulty moving up and down the field. I mean, all the main characters are still there. Um, and if anything, you, you might have hoped a, a player like Austin Hooper could take a, a step forward this year. So, you know, I, I would I would project just sort of on back of the napkin math, uh, slightly better things for the Falcons going forward. So we uh, kind of brought up the, the Denver game. Um, you know, Denver obviously not having much offense in that game. Um, but the Giants, I think, kind of surprisingly did, particularly through the run game, um, on the fantasy football. Oh, yeah, sorry. I, I, forgot, I, I forgot to address the upset. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> my, my bad. <laughs> Uh, you know, yeah, I think I think the you know because uh, Sean had mentioned the uh, the Giants upset of the Broncos, you know, and I think that's it's, it's just one of those situations I think where narrative street is so powerful, and you know when 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 it just seems like a team has no hope at all, and you look at how decrepit the Giants were in terms of their offensive injuries, and they're going to the belly of the beast in, in a team that you know stifles the run and has such an amazing pass defense, but you. you I think what we saw there was that the uh, the Broncos, you know, we were reminded that they had their own major offensive problems last year, and so maybe it shouldn't have been. And the Giants, you know, theoretically should should have a good defense, and we saw some of their defensive players, such as Jason Pierre-Paul, do well there. So, you know, I think the lesson there is it is to look past it of the immediacy, and it's, I think it's a trap we fall into in the NFL all the time because every week is so huge, and every game is built up in, in our minds, and there's such recency bias. But you know, looking at looking at it in terms of like maybe the past couple of years and factoring in how the Broncos, you know, aren't exactly an offensive juggernaut in their own right, maybe it, it shouldn't have been that much of a shock. Makes sense. I do think it was a, a little odd how easy it was for them to establish a run, considering they have no wide receivers. Um, yeah. But you know, to that point. Dark, Orleans Darkwa now has two consecutive 14-point games. Um, pretty tough matchups, and uh, he's he's not fully owned. You know, even in some deep leagues, he's out there. So, um, are you kind of starting to buy into him as a low-end RB2 type, um, even with the presence of Vereen and Gallman and you know maybe Paul Perkins even still floating around there? I'd say I am, and, and um, anyone who's listening to my pod, the Washington Post fantasy podcast, the Fantasy Football Beat, uh, which I'll have to talk to your guy, Colm Kelly, about the title. But uh, yeah, you know, I've, I've been—I was sort of beating the drum for Darkwood for a while. Uh, basically, you know, I noticed, like everybody else did, that Paul Perkins was absolutely not getting the job done early in the season. So. And you, you heard, you know, there were sort of rumblings coming out of New York that maybe uh, the coaching staff was going to start to look at Darkwa. And I think just as that was sort of crescendoing to become reality, uh, Darkwa suffered a, a back injury. And then Gallman stepped in and, you know, had this game that appeared impressive only because Perkins was so terrible. But I was sort of looking at that going, well, I mean, he had 11 carries and he averaged 3.8 yards per carry. And it's it's just not accurate to say like oh that's you know no run you know no Giants running back has been that good I mean Darko I think was averaging 4.1 yards per carry uh, in the games prior to that in albeit a, a super small sample size and of course he was you know if you just look at the depth chart he had held he had already superseded Gallman at that point so you know I think what this game confirmed to us is that uh, Darko is definitely the main guy atop that depth chart and if you're if you're the Giants I mean you absolutely you want to run the ball as much as humanly possible I mean. We're not sure when Sterling Shepard's going to come back, but even when he does, it'll be him and Roger Lewis as the top wide receivers. And then I think Evan Engram could well be the top receiver there, but I think you, can, you can't expect him to carry the load, obviously, as, as a uh, rookie tight end. So the Giants have every reason to want to pound the ball as much as possible and to shift to kind of a power-running approach. And, 
you know, their offensive line for as, as maligned as it's been certainly looked like it was up to that task against the Broncos who may not have the, you know, the, maybe they were overachieving in terms of their run defense. I mean, it, it had been by far the best in the NFL up to that point. So maybe there was some regression uh, in store for them, but yeah, I, th- I think, I think describing Darko as a low end RB two, I think would be reasonably accurate at this point. You mentioned your column, Terrell Pryor and Jamison Crowder. They've got 24 catches since week one. Now, they've already had their buy, so you could bring that up if you need a selling point in trade talks. But not only are they not heavily involved from a volume perspective, but they have the fifth worst schedule from now until week 12, according to the buy low machine. Are these guys going to definitely cost you your shot at the playoffs? And are you seeing any possibility for selling them right now? Or would any sell offers be accepted? I think you, you'll take what you can get with either uh, Pryor or Crowder right now. And I maybe should uh, mention to your audience that, like, whereas I work at the, at the Washington Post, I don't cover the Redskins directly. So, you know, I don't necessarily have any, like, major inside info to offer. I'm, I'm afraid, uh, you know, I, I kind of watch the games like everybody else does and follow the team as best I can like, like everybody else does. And you can't help but be struck by how poorly um, – or maybe that's unfair, but how little of a factor uh, – Pryor and Crowder have been in the offense, and, and Pryor, I think in particular, has actually played really poorly. I think Pro Football Focus has rated him as one of the worst performing wide receivers in the NFL in, in the early going. And the other thing you have to take away from the Redskins' uh, recent performances is that um, they're just spreading the, the ball around a lot, you know, and they're not really looking for any one guy, and they have a variety of options. I mean, even Vernon Davis is, is stepping up now and, and making some big catches, and Ryan Grant is there. So, you know, and it, it's also a reminder that maybe. A little too much was expected of of Pryor and Crowder. I mean, Pryor just really had his first full season as a wide receiver last year, and Crowder's in his third NFL season, and he's never really been asked to sort of take the lead. Um, so, you know, I, I think it I think it will be tough to put them in your lineup. So, if you want to, if you can get sort of anything of value for them, I, I would advocate making that move. As you mentioned, the the schedule coming up it does get pretty tough. I mean, you have the Seahawks and the Vikings on the, on the near future, and then the Giants after that, and then Denver in the fancy playoffs along with Arizona. So, you know, there, there are some red flags there in terms of the schedule. And so, you know, I think, I think Pryor still probably has some pretty solid name recognition right now. So if you can peddle him to someone who thinks maybe he will sort of magically transform into the wide receiver one, a lot of us thought he was going to be, or at least, you know, high end wide receiver two. Um, and it, it could still happen. I mean, you, you know, you can't rule anything out. We're still in the first half of the season, but it's, a, you know, it just doesn't look that way at this point. I think I would agree with that. Pryor was a player last year who benefited from huge volume, not just in targets, but in terms of the value of those targets, the air yards that were associated with those targets, and his ability to translate those into actual yards you know, wasn't as good as perhaps the perception might have indicated. And while you can't always take what a team does and say, well, they definitely know something that we don't, or they're definitely making the right decision. The fact that the Browns didn't want to re-sign him, I think was a red flag there. And, and you look at, like you mentioned, sort of the combination of his age and experience is another pretty big red flag in terms of what his development arc looks like. Uh, you know, you, you look at what they did and, and bringing in Kenny Britt, and obviously that is a play that, that didn't work out at all, or, or at least hasn't yet, and certainly doesn't look like it will. But right. Britt was someone in a terrible offense last year who actually did 
make those yards, uh, did translate air yards into actual yards at a much better level. So from that perspective, you can understand why they went ahead and made that move. The fact that neither move was worked out certainly, I think, is yet another indication of, of why teams perhaps are reluctant to, to sign some of these uh, veteran wide receivers. When they change teams, you've got a, a whole host of, of potential problems there. So certainly if you can sell Crowder, that, that definitely would be the way to go, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think it's another, it's, you know, in Pryor's case, it's another example of how you sort of have to tread carefully when players switch teams. I mean, you can't just plug in a situation a guy had in, in one area and just assume it'll carry over to another squad, another offensive scheme, another coaching staff. Um, you know, and then there's there's a lot of variance built into there as well. You know, in, in, in Pryor's case, I mean, it was, it was, there was such a strong positive narrative about him because of the fact that the Redskins had lost their top two wide receivers and Deshaun Jackson and, and Pierre Garcon. So, I mean, and they, I mean, there were, I think, over 300 targets that were vacated from personnel losses from the season before. So you figure prior stepping in a situation where the team is sort of crying out for a, a lead receiver, um, you know, and I think you saw in week one, the Redskins sort of treated him that way. He got 11 targets, but, you know, I think his inefficiency has caused the team to sort of take a step back and, and think, you know, and, and decide to maybe not make him such a focal point because he certainly has, hasn't been of late. So, you know, I think it's just another lesson. Yeah, when, when, when a player make, makes that move, you, you can't always assume it's going to go well just because it, it went well in, in, on one team and it'll just transfer over immediately to another. Yeah, and, and personally, I think uh, Crowder's hitting waiver wires this week. So uh, I think, you know, you might be able to still get something for Pryor, but Crowder's going to be really tough at this point. There's some optimism for him this week, um, and, you know, he once again disappointed. So, um, but I wanted to ask you about one other running back who had a great week, you know, potentially is a sell high candidate, uh, Jarek McKinnon. He, uh, you know, he's really emerged since Dalvin cook went down. There was, you know, the, the feeling that maybe Latavius Murray was going to be the guy who stepped in there, but he had 28 yards on 15 carries. So not the most efficient day. Uh, meanwhile, McKinnon had 69 yards and a touchdown. He also had 30 yards uh, and another score through the air. So uh, another great outing for McKinnon after a strong week last week. Uh, he's obviously had a great couple weeks here. Murray's been, you know, even less efficient than he was last year where the Raiders kind of showed him the door after a, a strong uh, fantasy season, but maybe a, a weak season given the offensive line they have. Um, are you starting to, I guess everyone at this point has, has bought into McKinnon to, to some extent, but um, is he a sell high? Is he someone that you're just going to kind of ride as a waiver wire pickup and, and hope that he kind of continues to solidify his role here? Yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily look at him as, as a sell high in, in the sense of oh, what what he's done the past couple of games is not likely to be replicated going forward. I, I think I think it absolutely can be. I, I think Latavius Murray, as you said, is, is sort of showing himself to be, you know, just not not real good at football. And uh, I think what we saw from the Raiders last year was a team that had a, a lot of other positive factors going for its offense, in particular a, a good offensive line and a threatening passing game, passing game. And he sort of scored 12 touchdowns, but wasn't super efficient and uh you know I, I think we're seeing that with with the vikings now um you know i i actually like the vikings offense a little bit even without sam bradford there i think case keenum is showing that he's a pretty decent caretaker you know they have certainly they have some receivers who can threaten defenses and um who knows they may even get teddy bridgewater back so you know i think i think the structure is in place for 
a running back who has talent to do pretty well there. And, and McKinnon, you know, sure looks like that guy. I mean, he's obviously a, a legendary spark score kind of player. Um, and he's, he's always been a factor out of the backfield. So, you know, I think when you add in the fact that he looks so much better running the ball than Murray, I mean, there's no reason, you know, there's no reason to think that the Vikings coaching staff is seeing this any differently than, than the rest of us are. So he absolutely should be the lead back and, and a guy who's going to be on the field in all situations going forward. I think Murray may, you know, become an annoying touchdown vulture in certain situations, even though we we also saw McKinnon get a goal line carry uh, on Sunday. So, you know, that bodes well also. So, you know, I, I, I so yeah, I, I think McKinnon is a hold, if anything, I think the, you know, it looked, the future looks pretty good for him for the rest of the season. Des, it's been awesome having you on. I wanted to finish with a question sort of in a, in a different direction. The NFL is, it's usually embroiled in a number of different controversies, but for me, the most relevant one, at least from a football perspective, is the one that, that seems like it hasn't gotten a lot of attention, or at least until this week. And that's instant replay. With the Safarian Jenkins call this weekend really giving the feel of a call that it is almost like a fixed game sort of situation, it, it raises all sorts of, of conspiracy theory. Yeah feelings and thoughts and takes. What did you think about this call? Is this one of the worst calls in NFL history, which is certainly what I was hearing uh, from everyone uh, with whom I was watching the game? Is this just an unfortunate mistake, or or is this a call that was right and a a very gutsy call, considering what the fallout was going to be? I don't know. I mean, for my money, the worst call in NFL history, at least recent NFL history was the Raiders decision to take Jamarcus Russell number one overall in the 2007 draft ahead of <laughs> Calvin Johnson and Joe Thomas. That was a terrible call, but that was not a referee call. So we'll, we'll go with that for the moment. Um, it, it was, yeah, it was baffling. I mean, it was a terrible haul at this point, you know, the NFL has tied itself into knots so badly on this question of like, what's a catch? What isn't, you know, I, I'm, and I'm one of these people that thought that, you know, I, I mean, I, I think the, the, of, of those kind of situations, you know, the, there was a lot more hand-wringing over the Des Bryant drop or non-catch against the Packers in the playoffs. I mean, that was much more impactful and I think got, deservedly so, got even more national attention than the Safarian Jenkins play did. You know, and, and, I, and I was one of those people at the time that thought that the NFL got that right, at least in terms of its rules in the book. I mean, whether or not, you know, those rules made any sense uh, is a different story, but I, I thought they applied the rules correctly in that case, although you could argue that Des Bryant was making these sort of all-important football move um, at the time he lost the ball. So, well, let's not go down that rabbit hole. We're already in this rabbit hole. Um, This one was baffling because they had to overturn a call on the field, and they essentially decided that when Safarian Jenkins bobbled the ball, then he he sort of turned himself into his own receiver. Like once once he sort of lost momentarily control of the ball, and then he gathered it back in. At that point, he was essentially a receiver of his own bobble, and because he didn't control that to the ground – that meant that it, you know, he never regained possession of it, even though like no one else could see that he never bobbled it a second time. And it did look like he gathered it back in and got his knee down as he hit the pylon. So the whole thing is just baffling, you know, and, and I, I would not say the fix was in um, given the, uh, the teams involved in the NFL front office. I mean, given that the Patriots benefited, I don't know if the recent history has indicated the NFL is really pro Patriots, but uh, you know, it was, it was baffling and, and really, an awful overturn. And I feel, I, you know, I feel bad obviously for, for the Jets and, and Sperry and Jenkins. And it's just, 
I don't know. I mean, I think it's just going to create more calls for the NFL to, to vastly simplify its rules on this situation because we're just seeing this time and again where no one has any idea. And this wasn't even a situation where it was a catch, right? It was really he'd already caught the ball. That was over with. He, was, he caught the ball and was running into the end zone. So this is more of a weird fumble, bobble, you know, control situation. You know, and it also might spur the NFL to revisit its rules about that, that touchback rule in general, right? That just seems so heavily uh, punitive. Like you can fumble the ball out of bounds anywhere else in the field, but if you fumble it out of bounds right before you go to the end zone, then the other team gets it. Like that just seems unnecessarily punitive. So maybe that maybe that's the case. You know, I've seen it suggested that maybe in situations like that, the team that fumbles the ball through the end zone gets the ball back, but at the 20-yard line. So instead of the other team getting the ball at the 20-yard line, the offensive team retains it, but they get pushed back and they got to try again. Maybe that's fair. I have no idea, but I think. You may see the rule, you know, in the offseason, the rules committee address address some of these issues. Yeah, that's a great point. And it's it is crazy because if he had been catching that ball right at the goal line, then that wouldn't have been it just would have been an incompletion for sure. Um, right. And it, it's crazy to me that they overturned it. I think that's the the weirdest part about that whole situation is that they, they felt like they had enough confidence to say without a doubt that the call on the field was wrong. It wasn't a touchdown, and in fact, he had definitely lost control out of the back of the end zone, even though the ball never left his body. It was just – it was a bizarre call. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, bizarre, and, and just, you know, you, just more frustration for Jets fans, right? And, of course, at the hands of the Patriots of all teams. So it's just like what what more could go wrong in the, in the, in the recent history of that rivalry? Um, and then, of course, Tom Brady becomes like the all-time winningest you know, quarterback ever. Uh, the whole, there's, you know, the whole history there is fraud. It'll just go down as another great moment in uh, Jets Patriots history. I mean, it, at least it wasn't as aggravating as the butt fumble. I can say, as, as someone who uh, grew up in the New York area and has had some fondness for the Jets, like that was a way worse moment in Jets history. <laughs> well, uh, Des, thanks so much for joining us. Um, before we let you go, I, I just want to bring up uh, an article that I think is is really fantastic uh, that you had. Uh, just a couple of days ago on Ryan Fitzpatrick, the Ryan Fitzpatrick curse uh, claiming no, right. uh, Jameis Winston. I guess this came out yesterday uh, as kind of Win- uh, Winston goes down and Fitzpatrick gets in, um, and it was it marked what the sixth time that he's that Fitzpatrick has come in as the backup coming in for a starter. And I, I couldn't recommend this article more. It sums up basically Fitzpatrick's entire career almost has just been <laughs> cursing yeah. the quarterbacks ahead of him. Yeah, the, it's the endless cycle of he joins a team as a backup, the starter gets injured, Fitzpatrick comes in, looks good right away, just as we saw you know, on Sunday, plays well. People are like, oh, maybe the team will be good with Ryan Fitzpatrick. And then he slowly but surely becomes terrible, gets cut, goes to another team, starter gets injured, and it all starts up all over again. And it's, it's just the NFL cycle of life. <laughs> right, and this has happened since his rookie year, and it's happened in a way twice this year because you know if you, if you forgot on Hard Knocks, uh, their original backup went down. To, to make Fitzpatrick the backup. So it's uh, it's a strange, some strange occurrences here with Fitzpatrick as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, let's, let's hope he hangs around the NFL longer because I really want to see the, the curse play out some more. I mean, I actually <laughs> found an article from a, from a Tampa, you know, in, in sort of researching that post, I found an article from a Tampa Bay newspaper right after Ryan Fitzpatrick was signed, like delving into that, like, well, hmm, will the Ryan Fitzpatrick curse strike the Buccaneers? And so it was already out there, and then sure enough, it happened. So it's, it's really remarkable and pretty hilarious if you're not a Buccaneers fan. Yes. Um, so everyone make sure to check out that article uh, at the Washington Post. Uh, check out Des's work there and follow him on Twitter at Des Bueller. Des, thanks so much. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. 
Thank you for listening to Rotovis Radio, the flagship Rotovis podcast. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Rotovis Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovisradio at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter at Rotovis Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com slash radio. This show is presented by SAP. Who am I and how am I feeling? I'm Clive Owen and I'm great, thanks. What if businesses could really understand how their customers feel? It's a thing. It's SAP Experience Management. For more, go to sap.com slash xm. Johnny got a toy golf set when he was three, and from that day on, he was hooked. All he wanted to do was golf, golf, golf. He'd be on the links before school, after school. All he ever wanted was to go pro. And then, one day, when he was holding his grandson and thinking about his 12 handicap, Johnny realized it just might not happen for him. But you know what did happen for him? He switched to Geico and saved a bunch of money on car insurance. So that was good, and so was hanging out with his grandson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.